With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever in the world you are today. Uh, so it is February 15th, 2023. Bitcoin has suddenly decided to uh, to come back up to about 24,000. Um, it's a good day despite CPI numbers. So that just goes to show that all the macros that everyone says that they they know how these trends go and they do all this amazing TA in the charts means absolutely nothing. Um, it's it's a totally chaotic world, but we're, we're really seeing a lot of kind of the, the disconnect between the gambling side of cryptocurrencies and and the utility side of blockchain-based projects is exactly what we're here to talk about today with Jonathan Alex from Snickerdoodle. Um, I love the name. It's absolutely fabulous. But let's take a second before we dive into what they are doing and why. Um, I always think it's so important just to understand where everybody came from so we can understand their 10,000 hours. Uh, YWills meets with a lot of professionals in the space, um, and we really like to have people that, that come from various asset classes that are adjacent to, or can be entirely separate, but they have that professionalism to them. Um, and I couldn't be more excited with uh, Jonathan and Alex today. So uh, Jonathan, if you wouldn't mind kicking us off, uh, where'd, you, where'd you come from and how'd you get to here today? So I have an interesting route into blockchain. Uh, if you ask my, my mother, I should be a lawyer. And I think it's probably one of her great Disappointments that I'm not a practicing attorney, but I think after we, we wrapped up these funding rounds and the, she's been to a couple of the team meals and realized we're a real company, she's, she's okay. But I come from the world of government politics. I was in the Obama White House uh, doing speech writing communications. I worked in democratic politics, having run campaigns uh, at the federal, state, and local level. And I had a moment when I was at Oxford about six and a half years ago where a very good friend of mine who was an early employee at Ripple taught me about blockchain. And little did I know that that was going to be a life-changing event. And a guy's name is Ryan Terpini. He's over now at the Algorand Foundation. Phenomenal guy. And before Snickerdoodle, I was in this weird state of, of flux. Alex and I met in London, and we studied together in China. We did a lot of work at Stanford and set up a lab at Stanford with David Mazieras, who co-founded Stellar, and then Dan Binet, who arguably is one of the, the world's top cryptographers. The lab there is called the Future of Digital Currency Initiative, and that was focused on central bank digital currency, stable coins, and digital economy. And the work Alex and I did to set that up was a labor of love. It took us a while to get it fully funded and operational. There's a lot of politics along the way, if you're familiar with dealing with a university. We got it up and running, and that was, uh, that was great to have that done. And then I was poached by PayPal during my time at the lab and went over to head up blockchain strategy at PayPal in late 2019, early 2020. Now, this, is, this is three years ago now, and it was interesting to see where corporates were then versus now. It was very, very different. Very few corporates had a blockchain team. Very few were taking this seriously. At PayPal, my job was to come figure out what the heck is blockchain? How do we commercialize it? How do we potentially monetize this? And so sitting out with a great group of folks, you know, Jose, who leads blockchain there at PayPal, was a, was a great mentor and, and friend. 
people like Paul Bances, you know, who heads up now the, the new subsidiary there. We work to launch buy, sell, hold of crypto in the core PayPal and Venmo apps. We launched uh, buy, sell, hold of crypto in multiple countries. Crypto is a funding source. You know, the, it was sad to see the stablecoin project shutter uh, last week with the announcement from the SEC. But most of my first year was figuring out how to build that. And so how do we pick a L1 protocol to build on? How do we design a scalable stablecoin? That was, that was my team that led the principal investigation and initial architecture of that. And I got to work with the IC and PayPal Ventures to help lead investments in the TRM Labs, Taxbit, Talos, Paxos. So it was a it was a multifaceted role. I feel incredibly lucky that I got to spend time talking to so many great entrepreneurs who were building, and really leverage the fact that you know PayPal was taking this bold first step into this new world of crypto, mm -hmm. and everything there prepared me for Snickerdoodle, in the sense that it was an amazing network, uh, amazing conversations, and really understanding from the top minds in the space what the difficulties, the challenges, and the opportunities that were present. But uh, at the end of the day, I'm still government guy. I probably will go back to government at some point in the next 10 to 15 years. But that, that too, is a, is a useful skill set simply because the biggest challenges facing Web3 are not technical. They're Absolutely. regulatory and governmental. And as we'll talk about a little bit later on, I think what we're building solves a lot of those issues. I love that. And, and, and again, it's really amazing how many various you know, asset classes or industries that we find people have now settled into Web3 um, as their new home. And, and you know, coming from government, you know, we can't have enough of you um, here. And so it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I, I, I applaud you know, anyone that says, hey, I, I like this technology. I see how it can be applied to my asset class. Um, it may not be ready today, but let's start figuring this out. And, and I, I always applaud PayPal and any other large um, large institution that's trying to figure this out. I mean, too often they, they try, they fail and they give up. Um, you know, so right now it's, it's just a matter of, you know, time before everyone kind of figures out and, and we do get the rules and the playbook um, from the various regulatory bodies. So, so awesome, Jonathan. Thank you for that. Uh, Alex, you've got a slightly different path, sir. Yeah. So JP mentioned that we, we both attended the same grad program in China. That's where we met. And that's also essentially the start of my, my Web3 journey. You know, before that was in 2017, before that, I you know, knew about Bitcoin. It was interesting, but more for the, you know, uh, underground money reasons, right? I hadn't read the white paper. I wasn't in into the technology yet. In 2017, we were both in China. Um, there's a lot of interesting, a lot of interesting things going on with, with ICOs, um, some uh, particularly interesting aspects of that being in China at the time. And, you know, I, I like puzzles, right? So the more I learned, the more I, I saw this as, you know, these were, you know, puzzle pieces which were laying the foundation that could dramatically change, you know, I mean, not just our daily lives when it comes to technology, but civilization, right? Not, not to be dramatic. And so the deeper I dug there, the more, you know, JP and I started, you know, talking about all the interesting things we can do. Um, and then we, we actually split, uh, split paths for a little bit. So I also have a background in, in traditional mining, so gold mining. So I actually went and first tried to, you know, uh, apply my trade in uh, the international gold mining sector around, around blockchain, you know, real in the dirt use cases. And it was very interesting, right? I was working on supply chain, 
um, you know, tokenizing gold, which at that time was a very exciting use case. It's um, you know a little bit less less buzzy now, um, but tokenized gold, uh, supply chain, emerging market payments, very exciting stuff. Um, but you know, it just it, it was too early, right? We you know we had the situation. I think a lot of you know uh, folks have had it that have tried to push Web three in large uh, large institutions of the last few years, which is we you know we get the last mile. And then you know a project gets pulled, or or new stakeholders come in within the company, and um, it just no longer felt like the right fit. So I I jumped from the from uh, the large kind of corporate world. I went and worked at a startup based out of Tanzania, doing similar work, um, working with you know artisanal miners, some partnerships with the UN. Um, did that for a little bit, but um, you know I it, it really felt to me like the solutions that we needed to to build to, f- to first drive adoption was not in the dirt, but these were you know digital solutions, like natively digital solutions, and so that's what drew me back to to uh, you know to California. Looked back up with JP. You know we started we did various things, most notably the you know the the lab which JP introduced, and you know the rest is history. That's awesome, and and you know. One of the things I just love about Web3 is that it is this congregation of some of the smartest people around the planet that, that are quite simply looking at this at, at blockchain and smart contracts and you know all the, the various technologies, including AI, and going, it's not here yet, but it's absolutely the future. And, and I can go do a lot of things. There's, there's, there's a plethora of people, including yourselves, that can go find jobs in any major institution, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 company today, or government agencies. Um, but we're choosing to spend our time here, and it's really hard. It's really hard because we don't have the playbook yet. It's really hard because it it can sh- it shifts every quarter and every year. It's entirely different. So you know, I love that you guys you know have so much experience and, and tried a couple things, um, you know, on on some other projects, and then came in here and go, we we were ready to build that foundation. So with that being said, you know, JP, would you would you mind running us through what what you've built uh, with Snickerdoodle and how it fits into the current uh, market landscape? So. Snickerdoodle, I think, is a vision, and let me start with the philosophy. The, the key thing is, and this I think goes to the very ethos of Web3, is that in the status quo in Web2, it is large corporations, it is the Googles and Amazons and Facebooks of the world that are the chief aggregators of data. And that, that's, that's how it is. I mean, that's where a lot of the value that shareholders have derived is basically data that's controlled by, you know, Jay, you and me and Alex has been captured by these big companies and they've done everything from e-commerce to social media to research and the data that they've collected has provided tremendous value and it's been value capture by those firms and their shareholders. Now from that philosophical perspective, you know, we want to really have this reality where the pendulum shifts back to the individual. And so our vision, you know, five to ten years out is that the individual is the best aggregator of his or her data. And we do that by a couple things, and this will go into what we've actually built. So we have that premise. We know that the data is the petroleum of the century, likely going forward, even the, in, the, in the eyes of chat uh, AI and, and all these types of different mechanisms coming online, they still need data to function. And I think there's a, a tremendous opportunity there. So, but here are the things we've built. We've built one a purpose-built data wallet. The data wallet is not a crypto wallet. You don't put your Bitcoin or ETH in there. You literally have it control your data. And it's a way for a user 
to seamlessly and frictionless manner control his or her data. And the neat thing is we've built this to be agnostic in the sense that, yes, we have a browser plugin and a mobile application that people can use. But the thing that makes this truly powerful is that this fits into a MetaMask or a Phantom or a Ledger or an IoT device or, frankly, any Web2 application. And so this form factor Gnosticism allows us to be a very flexible and practical application where most consumers uh, can have this experience within an existing Web2 or Web3 experience. So that's point one. And we think this is a critical piece of infrastructure. You know, the second thing we've built is effectively analytics for Web3. And as we think about this, you know, having looked at what firms like TRM Labs and CypherTrace and Chainalysis have built, great products. They solve a very real need for forensics. How do you ensure that you know, person A is not some sort of nefarious criminal or a sponsor of state terrorism to ensure that they can have access to existing financial infrastructure and comply with regulatory structures? Very purpose-built. They do the job quite well. The data sets they've done are, are very useful. On the other end, you have firms like Nansen. Nansen has built a phenomenal product if you're a trader and you want to focus on getting the best alpha and signal. Very specific use case. They have good data sets there. If you're trying to figure out what A16Z is doing, or you're trying to figure out uh, what a you know phenomenal trader is doing out there, you can follow their wallets. Mm-hmm. Now, in between that, you have a complete dearth of understanding what consumers are doing, what average consumers are doing at scale on an ongoing basis. This enters Sneakerdoodle. We're not trying to find alpha for Signal. We're not trying to help law enforcement track down uh, your activities. But what we do do is we allow for a privacy-first way for commerce and business entities within Web3 to understand the behavior and insights of their users. This is not by any means, and we've done pretty extensive market research, nobody has cracked this nut. I feel very comfortable in saying that the product we put out here is effectively Google Analytics for Web3 and becomes part of what we're calling DMAR or decentralized marketing, a real effort to, to finally address this. So this, mm. this is our second product. Uh, it's super powerful. We do this in a way that shares data insights and not raw data. So this is something where you have no fear of your data ever being leaked. If I were captured by a CIA agent and taken to a black site in Eastern Europe, there's nothing I could do as CEO to give them your data. You have the on-chain verification of consent to make sure that your data is only permissioned and used by entities that you choose. So that's that's segment two, and we can dive more into that. Alex will probably do a far better job. He spends so much time on this on the product side. And then the third thing to make this all kind of work together is we've built a protocol. And this is not an L1 or L2 in the traditional sense. We've built what we call Cinnamon, and Cinnamon is a purpose-built data layer that is chain agnostic. We have a few consent factories on Avalanche, so it's EVM compatible, but otherwise this is really interoperable with any L1 or L2, EVM or non-EVM, and this creates a data layer that's ubiquitous for all of blockchain. This is designed to be, frankly, a utility-grade piece of infrastructure that services the needs of consumers and businesses to have a frictionless way to interchange data and for individuals to really begin to exercise their sovereignty of, and controlling of their data. 
Another way to think about this is we think about this as a decentralized data lake. If you're familiar with what, with what Snowflake has done as a consumer data platform, we think we've built uh, the first truly decentralized version of that that allows brands and businesses to easily have a consumer data platform to pull on to meet the needs of their business units while protecting the privacy of individuals. And so that, that's remarkable. And I think about all these things as components of a steam engine. There are pistons and levers and furnaces, all of which are valuable individually. But when combined, they form a fully functioning entity. And it's the mm. same for Syncodeal. All these things might seem like we're doing a lot of different aspects of a, of, a di of a different business. But we think about them as completely required to offer a full-fledged platform and service to brands and businesses. And at the same time, have that functionality for individuals and users to really maximize the value of their data. No, I, I love that. And that goes along with the theme that I, I call Web3 the modular internet. And, and so the concepts that you guys are putting out there is, is absolutely you know, consistent with that thought that it's, it's a modular. You can add pieces in, you can remove pieces, you can, you know, I, I like this wallet solution, I don't like this wallet solution. You have choices of how to manage your data. And I think that the one thing that I really want to nail down, and Alex, I'll, I'll key this over to you, is the fact of data ownership and the fact that it's we're moving things out of these, these massive data centers that are owned um, by, by institutions or, or, or companies. And, and that's not your data. And so when you're logging into Facebook or, or you know, uh, Twitter or anything else, you, you, again, you are the product. Even if you're paying for it, even if you're, whatever you're doing, they own your data. It is, it is theirs and they're going to do whatever they want with it. Uh, it's, in, it's in the 85,000 pages of terms and conditions. Over in Web3, and you know, again, I will make sure you guys clarify if I'm incorrect, you know, you're really looking at the various pieces of, of Web3. You're not saying, hey, we're going to build an entire chain. There's enough of them. Um, <laughs> there's going to be lots more. You're trying to solve individual problems that are causing friction and, and the loss of consumer adoption, which is the only only thing that's really holding back major institutions and major brands because Web3 is just too hard. Alex, how'd I do? Yeah, I think you're right on the money. And you read, you read my mind on where I want to go, which is, you know, like, what are we trying to do here? Like, our core values is we want people to be able to own their data and have privacy. But the way to achieve adoption of that is to have the value drivers also want to adopt these standards. So you, what you have to do is you have to build the tools that businesses need. And if we can give them a better way to do business, then they're along for the ride on, on privacy. And, you know, this isn't a hard battle in, in Web3. When we talk to Web3 companies, you know, sometimes when we start our business pitch, it actually starts with them almost pitching us on the reason we have our company, right? They'll, they'll actually pitch us on why, you know, you know, data ownership is so important, and why why they don't want to hold, you know, PII on their their customers, right? They actually kind of pitch it to us. So that's you know, we're uh, feel very lucky that this industry is such so aligned with with our, our values, you know, and you know the way we feel is like, look, using data is not evil, right? That's not the moral hazard here that that makes us all uncomfortable. Um, it's circumventing consent and circumventing privacy, and having to trust. A large institution that creates you know many of the the consequences that we're we're not fond of you know like we, we've been to the the, the web3 conferences and we've had people sort of you know kind of wag their finger at us and say like web3 doesn't need ads right or it doesn't need a google analytics it, you know because because you know and I, 
one, I think, I think some of the, the business owners would disagree because, you know, they have the, they have the same, they have similar needs to what, you know, web two businesses have, but I understand where they're coming from, right? They're, they're, uh, you know, under this premise that to, uh, to get, you know, these successful business tools, you have to, sa- you have to make sacrifices on data. And, you know, what we've built with our protocol is we're trying to make you, you know, not have to make this trade-off. Right. And so, so what does that, what does that look like? Right. Is, you know, uh, privacy built in at the protocol level and an important concept, which is data self-custody, right? Right. We, we, you know, we're all for, you know, self-custody of keys, you know, self-custody of crypto. I think we, we all understand the issues with large centralized um, exchanges and, and uh, you know, we see that we continue to see issues there, but what we're trying to say here is you can, you can now self-custody your data um, because if, if data is, exp- you know, if, if a counterparty needs to hold your raw data for it to be used, it's very hard to enforce privacy. You know, big tech will tell you all day that they spend a lot of time on privacy and they, they do spend a lot of money on privacy teams, but you still have to trust them and there continues to be um, you know, issues there. Um, but the other you know, core bit that we're solving is if, if data needs to be transferred to a counterparty for it to be used, then it's very difficult to enforce individual ownership because data can be replicated once you have access to it. And so another way to think of what we built at, with, with the Cinnamon Protocol is a consumer data edge computing network. Right? Individuals self-custody their data in their data wallets. We built a system that if they give consent, which is recorded on-chain, then their data wallet can ingest certain data queries and certain outcomes can happen, right? You know, we don't have to get too in the weeds, but... That could be, you know, an anonymous insight filling a dashboard. That could be an, an ad that's targeted to them, you know, in a completely private manner. Um, that could be even, you know, a, a targeted airdrop that's that's being targeted based on their Web3 activity. But you have data self-custody is maintained throughout the entire process. Privacy is maintained. And, the, you know, the raw identifying data of that individual ne- never leaves their own hands. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's number one, I, I agree with your guys' theses. I, this is clearly, you know, we're, we're trying to find ways to bridge the gap between Web 2, which I would say everyone's happy with. Their user adoption is there. Everyone around the world is, is utilizing it. Um, you know, server rooms around around the planet have, have been kind of vacated for the massive data centers compared to the little micro things. And now we're going back, we're, we're taking a half step back so that we can go forward. And so I, I look at a lot of what we're seeing today is, is code debt. Um, we went too far with the SaaS model. We went too far with people saying, I, 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 you know, I'll let somebody else manage my data. And I think one of the things I want to point out is it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter how well-funded they are. Your, your data is in a pool with potentially millions, hundreds of millions of other users, and that's a very large jackpot for hackers to go after. Um, and and it, all it takes is a single, you know, un, un, you know tiny blip. And next thing you know, your social security data is, is out there. Next thing you know, your credit data is out there. Visa get attacked. You, you name it, there's not a single institution on the planet that hasn't been attacked. Because once you get into the nation states, like it's there. Now, the, the solution that we all raise our hands and say is blockchain. Um, because all of a sudden, instead of them having to hack one massive database, they have to have hack individual databases. They've got to go through and brute force go after each and every single one individually because we own our data, we own our, our keys, and, and our risk metrics may be different, but that's going to take some time to make it as easy to secure our data as it is to just say, 
here's my password. Do you want 2FA? Great. You know, we'll, we'll come up with various versions of that. How have you guys seen success, you know, so far right off the bat with a few of your clients? So I think when it comes to looking at, at the clients, I think a lot of them are initially incredulous about the ability of the tech to go ahead and actually execute this. It, it takes them a moment to, to realize that we can give them what they need from a, from a web tool perspective for Web3 business. And I think it's breaking down those silos and really working on the education of what we're actually doing, what it means practically for both the individual end user. And then as we see you know, business customers who are looking to basically leverage this for, for their various perspectives. I think once we, we break down and, and our CTO Todd will walk them through a technical demo or they talk to you know, our customer success and BD team, people realize, wow, this is an extremely powerful tool set. Um, but it, it is it is a journey, and I think it's going to take time for individuals to fully realize the potential. I mean, we think about this. We talk about this all the time. We, I know we can get caught up in the way we, we think about this, but the applications are, are potentially limitless about how people can leverage data. It's not just that we can do advertising analytics in a privacy-preserving way. It's with enough data points and ingested into the system we can do things, I think, in the long term, like discreetly pricing data and empowering uh, a data DeFi layer that you know, allows people to really begin to monetize beyond incentives and rewards and coupons, very, re very real ways of value from their data. And that's going to take some time to get there. But in terms of, of how we've seen success, uh, people are keen to explore the tech, everybody we've spoken to who spent time, I think, sees the immediate value. And I mean, Alex can probably speak to this more than I can. I think Web3 firms are absolutely desperate for ways to show data-driven metrics and make decisions that are based on data. I, we sat down this morning for a board meeting. And what <laughs> I mentioned, you know, when I was at PayPal, we used to take guesses on what we were going to do because we had no data to back up the decision making and one of my board members said john what do you mean you're, you're gonna you make decisions without data and i said yes there is there was no way to get the data in a meaningful way of what consumers were doing in web3 and, and frankly uh still today you know sans snickered well, that is impossible so uh really really proud of what the team has built and we're offering frankly the first way of, of any meaningful business to do this at scale I love that. So, so one of the problems that that we're all we're all trying to solve with Web two, and and it's not a problem per se for for Web two companies because it's it's easy for them is they can say here's a domain, everything is wrapped around this. We don't need any external partners. You log in one one place. Everything you need from our website is right here. We deal all we deal with all the rest on the back end. With Web three, we're we're taking a slightly different approach, and and I'd love your elaboration on this, uh, Jonathan or Alex. Is is that we're saying, look, um, we, we don't want to funnel you into a hole of which you're stuck and your data is stuck. And and you know, Twitter saying, hey, you can push a button and here's a CSV file of a bunch of a bunch of stuff. Okay, great, but I don't get everything. I don't. I can't say you know if you're blocking me on this this website, I'd like to use this website, or I want to use five at the same time. I mean, to me, the, the like let's not even get started on the instant messenger problem of like 
we, you know, uh, WhatsApp versus Signal versus Telegram versus all the stuff. So there, so you're building that interconnectivity here, but we have to be able to monitor. We have to be able to say where should we be spending our time that that's most efficient? Because right now there's there's only so many cycles you guys can build. Why did you choose these specific? Because you're 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 kind of broad at this point, but you're you're very targeted on some specific things. How did you choose those specific um, projects to attack first? You want to take that one, Alex? Uh, sure. So, I mean, at every turn, we've just tried to meet people where they're at, right? So on the business side of our of our platform, like our business tools, like our, you know, Google Analytics for Web3, our target rewards airdrops, our, you know, um, basically ads for, for, you know, Google ads for Web3, which will be, um, you know, coming out later this year. That itself is built out as a as a as a SaaS model. So, you know, brands are coming to use this; it's familiar to them. Good on the user side, right? The data wallet's a new concept. This ability to self custody your data is a new thing. But you know, when JP was introducing this at the start, and he mentioned that this is form factor agnostic, you know, that's part of our answer, which is you can embed this in almost every experience digital experience that is familiar to users. So it can be embedded in an iOS app. You could put it in, you know, Flappy Bird, like a game. You could put it in in MetaMask, right? You can put it in your Apple Watch. And so we're trying to meet people where they are. So yes, it is it is a new thing. And it is technically a new, you know, identity layer. But we can make it smooth so there's no additional friction, right? You're already going where you're going to be and we're meeting you there with the tool to own your data. Um, but yeah, this, this is, this is uh, you know, part of the, the onboarding challenge for Web3, which is we're giving you more control, but more control is, is more difficult, right? More, more freedoms come with more responsibility. That's, that's a difficult thing. Um, yeah, so 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 um, for for some of the audience that that may not you know fully understand what owning your data is or why it's important, can we talk about you know just real quickly how valuable the the concept of of owning your your browser history, the concept of owning your uh, your rewards, you know your your airline points and and all like even your video game points, the the value of all of this data wrapped up into something that you own and you control access to. Well, I think it comes down to how do you make the data portable and how do you have it be fungible across a number of different platforms. I mean, right now, in a lot of ways, it is big tech that leases your data back to you for a service or a function. So it inverts the, the model where now, because you're the master of your own data, you can set the parameters on how it's used and you can begin to, to frankly, derive more of the value from that exchange. In in the short term, we think as this whole system is kind of set up and it's fledgling, you're in a spot where we haven't fully priced your data. That that's something that's going to take some time to build the models and build the, the engines to get this in. But we do imagine like an AMM for data in the not so distant future. But in the short term, it, it's meeting the consumers where they are, and so it might look like a blockchain-based game giving a skin or in-game item. Now, that's going to be of high value to an individual if they're a fan of that kind of endeavor. And that that is of, is of the minimum value to the brand, so to speak. But so there's a proper exchange where 
your brand can meet the needs of their consumer and give some, give them something that they really, really want. Now, for a DeFi protocol, you know, maybe if we can figure out some of this data, which is critical for managing these systems, maybe it's an extra basis point or two of yield, something that could be meaningful, uh, but you know, something that is totally within the bound of how these systems operate. The, the exciting thing is this, this data is just like when we started to use automobiles. You know, people had utilization for petroleum but it wasn't at scale. It was still the playground of a very small elite. But within 50, 60 years, thanks to the innovation with the Ford Motor Company, everybody had a car, or at least it was obtainable by the average family, so to speak. That's the same thing here, where the types of data sets we're dealing with are, are very basic. They're rudimentary, but they will evolve into something that's frankly much more powerful. It's, Beyond the type of web browser data and your Web3 data, eventually it'll be things like potentially medical history. We can do this in a privacy way where the power that the protocol we've built can unlock privacy-preserving ways to share clinical research, which could be a complete game-changer to how you know, big pharma and, and companies and hospitals ensure the best quality pharmaceuticals and customer care. You know, it could be something where we fundamentally alter the way a financial institution offers credit by leveraging this system and expanding better rates for individuals based on real-world uh, attributes and ensuring that people have access to these types of financial resources. So once we start to layer on those types of applications, and those are just the tip of the iceberg, the number of applications of data will dramatically increase, which goes to underscore how we think the synergies will, will let data have an asymmetric increase in value over the course of, say, the next 10 to 15 years. That's fabulous. So, who, to, and there's a lot of things, you know, that, that there's a blue sky. I mean, wide open, we can touch every different asset class uh, in industry and, and um, around the planet. Today, who's like, you have an amazing website, everything's set up, you guys are in operation, you're, you're kind of, you're saying you're a startup, but you're, but you're in revenue, you're doing, you know, tons of, tons of projects and, and a lot of work right now. Who's your ideal client today? Like for people watching, um, you know, who should be reaching out or at least investigating Snickerdoodle right now? Yeah, I think the, the best customer right now is going to be a Web3 startup that wants to understand who their consumers are. I mean, that's, we're working with uh, like folks there in that space. That is a, a critical component as we build trust and, and grow confidence within kind of our native ecosystem. We can offer something that's incredibly differentiated, but that's only one in the spectrum. As we grow the business out, you know, we're looking to expand into some of the bigger Web 2.5 companies that really are trying to play around with Metaverse and Web 3 and make data-driven decisions, but have yet been able, uh, unable to do so. So uh, it's, it's a spectrum. It's everybody from, you know, a NFT community to a guild to a Web3 game to, to frankly, like Nike, Coca-Cola. Those are people that we expect should and will be customers in the next 12 to 15 months. That's awesome. And and, and everyone's looking for the solution and uh, Google to showcase that they're, they're not quite ready in any way, shape, or form uh, to change their business model thanks to uh, Baird or whatever they call it for AI. Um, so you mentioned earlier, Alex, and you did talk about, you said AI and you said, you know, this, it, it needs data. 
you know, how define to me kind of your thought around where AI bots, you know, can integrate with this data and provide, you know, resources to either the brands or to the owners of these data, how you how you see this being used inside your protocols. Sure. So in our network, brands build audiences. Those audiences are essentially those are consent contracts. That's a list of data wallets have given you consent for specific activities. Individuals are providing that consent. And when they provide that consent, they have granular control over what data they're sharing. So it's, it's the brand's job to compensate the user, right? To provide adequate compensation to get that consent. And then the owner of that audience that has received consent to do XYZ activity um, can then engage with, you know, with that that audience around specific query events that are flexible to different use cases. So, what we've built to date is on the brand side, the analytics, targeted rewards, we're, you know, pretty far down the down the pipe on ads. But when you're asking about training models for AI, you know, that fits into the protocol as it's built today, right? Um, we haven't we haven't tackled that yet, and I you know I think there's members of our uh, you know, BD team that would uh, you know um, they, you know they don't want us to get too far off course because because we're we're excited by every every new idea, um, but I think it's important, right? Like you know you, when you asked earlier about you know, what's the value of this data, right? This is a, a new economy we're building where individuals are themselves seeking compensation for their data. And a new economy is difficult to set up, right? It's hard to have price discovery. It's hard to know prices. And so we're starting with a barter economy, basically, right? You're getting rewards. You're getting kind of blocks of compensation for consent on the future activities that can be done to you. But as we get more precise, individuals are going to be able to participate as unions of individuals in these activities, you know, like AI. When you ask, like, how valuable is data, right? It's hard to know the value of the individual bit of data, but you know it's valuable because this is why you know Google and Facebook are two of the biggest two of the biggest companies on earth, right? That data in aggregate is powerful, right? So this is also sort of another Web three, you know, Web three um, you know value set, which is like the individual in in a community is very powerful. And so how do I see this? Is you know you can have DAOs that are training models and owning models. Um, you can have model marketplaces, and individuals can see direct compensation for their data going into the model, and not just the generation of the model, but the ongoing value generation of the model, right? You can actually have royalties associated with your data, your share of data, based on the output of the models, right? Now that's going to be a very small you know, percentage of the model, right? But this is, this is meaningful in, in aggregate. Um, but really, you know, this is this is a place where the sky's the limit, right? This is, you know, we can talk all day about the things we want to do on the protocol, but it's not going to be only us building on the protocol, right? That's that's the vision is, and so I think uh, this is going to be a wonderful playground for a lot of people to, to play on. And as we continue to see, you know, um, more use cases, direct, you know, that people are really directly exposed to, you know, ChatGPT three and all the fun stuff people are building there. Um, you know, I think we can we can help that trend, and yeah, I, I, maybe the, the last thing I'll say, because um, I can kind of talk about this endlessly, is, you know, what are my hopes? Like my hopes are, if individuals are involved 
and make in actually making decisions around what they're consenting to or not consenting to when it comes to training models. And we talk a lot about AI ethics and the outcomes of these models, but you're still trusting kind of centralized institutions or, or small, you know, councils to make the decision on, 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 you know, what's the good for the community. And what we potentially offer in the future is a different route where the community can decide what's the best for the community and be involved in deciding how their data is being used. And that might lead to more you know, equitable outcomes for those communities. I, I love that answer, and I, but I also want to kind of say how complex these challenges are. <clears throat> you know that, that you can you could lock us in on on this podcast for ten hours, and we'll and and we'll come up with a hundred different theses of where this can go because the sky is blue and it's wide open and there's really no restrictions, except except for the government. So, Jonathan, without again, you have no knowledge of what they're doing, but you've been in the field. They struggle, and I say they is a very broad term. Governments around the world struggle with some very basic problems. You know, how do you how do you feed? How do you educate? How do you like? You know, very simplistic things are complicated when you get into the scales of, of government regulation. Are they prepared, or do you think that they're even in, in remotely able to educate themselves on what we're looking at now? Because they, they stood back from web one and said, we don't know how to tax this thing. So Amazon, just don't worry about charging tax. We'll figure it out later. You go, you go build your company. And this, and this is not the same that we're seeing today. So this is an interesting question to ask. And I think, I think about it in, in a couple of different ways. And the truth is, you know, Alex and I, we spend probably about 10 to 15% of our time at Stanford and you know, we, we talk to our investors and some investors are like, whoa, you're spending time at Stanford. Why aren't you building the business? And the response is, well, the work we do at Stanford is, is academic. It is entirely focused on on making sure we have good government, good outcomes. And But the truth is, by, by doing that, we can work with regulators, we can engage with governments in a meaningful way, in a way that frankly is, is better for the ecosystem and for the industry because we're doing it from an academic perspective and not from a private sector perspective. And so I would say this, I mean, the government's had some phenomenal people. I think about you know, Carol House, who was at the White House and just recently left in the fall. And she was you know, a tour de force in ensuring that the Biden administration had at least good foundations of knowledge. I think much more than people realize. And she, she was from the National Security Council. And so you have people like that you know, people like Chairman Gensler from the SEC, and I know he's had uh, a very busy week in terms of some of the stuff coming out of your context. This is now the week of February 13th. It'll probably go down as a very busy week in the history of blockchain regulation. But I would say that I think some governments are now operating out of fear. The unfortunate reality is that after the FTX debacle, a lot of folks who were willing to kind of listen and and learn have become very scared. And for better or worse, you know, uh, SBF was a major actor in this interchange of the Web3 ecosystem and, and government, and that's caused a chilling effect. Uh, I think, you know, the, the whole ethos of a messiah complex is hurting us right now, but that's not to say that that's going to be the case going forward. What's required is the industry to educate, to engage, and then frankly, from the corporation perspective, the corporate perspective, how do we as an industry professionalize 
and ensure that we have good standards, good contact, you know, really are focusing and protecting the consumer. And it requires a, a multi, like a multi-pronged effort to make sure that the government is now swinging hard against crypto because of the, the bad actions of a number of actors last year. So uh, I, I would say, but it, it really requires concerted effort and education. There are great folks like Kristen Smith, the Blockchain Association, and Riparian Boring over the Digital Chamber of Commerce, who I think are leading the charge. And I, I have great you know, faith in, in Kristen and the team she's put together. And those are good actors to have you know, out front. But it comes down to, you know, Jay, people like you and me and, and other industry leaders to really step up how we treat our end consumers. Because yeah. that's been the big fear right now, is that consumers have been shafted and government is acting to protect the needs of the small actor. Yeah. And, and, and again, for every one of the people that I, I don't know them, and I, I know a number of people that, that work you know, in lobby, as lobbyists to, towards, uh, you know, for Coinbase and others, and so we really do a lot to educate it. But for every person that's in the government that gets it, that understands it, and sees where the, that this is the future and the world is going to adopt blockchain, you've got an Elizabeth Warren. And I'm not saying anything, you know, about her personally, but the things that she writes are just wrong. Like they're just, they're not correct. And, and a lot, she has a lot of influence there. And so we've tried to get to, to her and others and say, look, look, we understand that there's fear. We understand that there's issues, you know, but, but for Snickerdoodle and all of our projects to be successful, we have to have a good relationship with the people that manage the regulations and, and understand that, look, we're fine with compliance. But we're a little bit different, and we we just need enough rules and regulations that we can follow a playbook. I I don't think that Kraken or Paxos or Genesis or Gemini or any of these ones went out there, especially like someone like Kraken. I mean, those guys are insane, especially Circle. They're insane about regulation and compliance. They're doing everything they can to follow the book. They're probably spending millions of dollars a month on legal, and they're still getting sued by the SEC. When it comes to that, I mean, it's it's a bit of a chicken and the egg problem, and it comes down to this. You know, it comes down to understanding how governments work, how politicians work, to know that even though Elizabeth Warren plays an outsized influence in the U.S. Senate, and especially for the relevant committees, most of the regulatory structures that will come out will come from people like Chairman Gensler at the SEC. So the difference between legislative action and, and regulation, which is done at the agency level or the executive level, really comes down to also, I think, people in the space being willing to engage. The last decade, if you look at big tech, is when Facebook and Google and Amazon beefed up their entire government relations effort and spent you know hundreds of millions of dollars to lobby and I'm not saying that's necessarily a good thing. I think that's always dangerous when you have that amount of money working in government. But it does go to having people engage with regulators, engage with people on the Hill, sitting down with the staffers, the people really informing these electeds so that you can have good sources of information. I, I played that role for a number of younger staffers who were you know, LDs in, on the Hill come to me with questions because I, I, I've known them since I was in high school working in campaigns and elections. It's, but it, I would say the one thing I would, I, I would focus on, though, is it's not just the U.S. Blockchain is not an American-centric technology. Uh, one of the reasons I think the U.S. needs to get its, its act together is that 
as as an American, we risk losing the advantage in Web three, and in, in some cases, we already have. You've seen phenomenal projects out of Asia, New Europe, London, and in Paris have become more prominent in DeFi and Web three. And regulation engaging with governments needs to be a transnational perspective, not just an American centric perspective, as we engage with regulators. And I think that's that's the other element here: is how do we talk? To folks at the European Central Bank, when it comes to stable coins and CBDCs, you know, in my past life with PayPal, you know, the UK government was incredibly welcoming as we helped devise their digital ID strategy. And they basically asked, you know, Barclays, PayPal, uh, a number of other financial institutions to build a framework for them to then have a digital ID. And so, engaging across the board is critical. And I think for business to succeed, you have to have a multi-nation approach of going after these target markets. And you've, you've seen that at the exchange level, but I think for some of these more consumer-facing apps, you're going to have to have that be the case going forward. Love it. Great conversation so far, guys. And, and really, there's so much that's going on. I mean, you guys are like 24-7. This is all you're thinking about. You, you have some amazing asset classes and industries you both came from, which really helps bring that 10,000 hours of your of your perspectives into this asset class and, and is really, you know, again, driving a lot of value for the brands and the clients of which you guys are going to serve. That being said, you know, Jonathan, I want to take a step, step back and I don't know what you can disclose or not, but like PayPal is a major player in the financial services you know, world. And they entirely, you know, upended and just broke, you know, the, the financial industry back in Web1 when it was suddenly it's like, hey, we're going to do this on our own. It's going to be a little different. And it's, I mean, it's. PayPal has had a very long journey, all the way from Elon Musk uh, being part of the team to, you know, today where I deleted my account because of some of the nonsense that they were doing um, with, with fees and, and everything else. But define kind of how they look at like a Web 2 versus a Web 3 company looks at, looks at these uh, government and regulatory problems. So it, it's interesting. You know, PayPal's core business is based on licenses for, for payments and it's non-bank financial institutions. So in government compliance is of the utmost importance. I mean, uh, the inside joke is how do we keep Dan, uh, you know, Dan from, from ending up before a Senate or con a congressional committee? And that was always a very, very big deal. And we took that super seriously. A lot of it comes down to the compromises and trade-offs we have to make with going down the, the Web3 rabbit hole and partnering with firms. And I remember one time we had and I won't say what firm, we had a, a very Web3 focused firm and the individual came onto a call and would not dox himself and, uh, you know, basically was there on a call with one of our senior executives at the company reporting directly to Dan Schulman and would not give us his name. And so I ended the call and I told his boss, and I won't say the name of the firm, but said, if you ever want to work with PayPal, you're going to have to tell us who your people are and that that's a requisite for dealing with a big corporate it was just completely unprofessional and the reality is you know one of the things we looked at at paypal for counterparty risk is can we sue the other company and that sounds kind of silly but given how web3 is set up with dows and, and undocked teams we've seen rug pulls in the past and one of the requisites is we have to be able to sue a counterparty and that, that was super, super critical to ensure that we had safety for our consumers, for our goodwill, for our brand. Now that, that being said, the journey of how this works is 
we have to be compromises along the way. We're never going to have what an Ethereum maximalist or a Bitcoin maximalist wants in something that's completely 100% decentralized. But the, the trade-off is this. You know, by sacrificing 10 to 15% of the true nature of decentralization, you can get mass adoption and you can get a UI, UX that frankly is, is useful for the most consumers. No grandmother who plays around with Facebook is going to want to basically have a very janky or edgy system to send, you know, staple coin or to their grandson or granddaughter on, on those respective birthdays. You have to have something where the average consumer can interact and that requires compliments. And that's not meant to be a dirty word because the end consumer and the industry can gain tremendously a, a lot more by doing that. And you know, the truth is people are going to be super rah-rah about decentralization until they're set before a corporate contract and they're able to kind of scale or grow their business. And frankly, as more professionals have entered the space, leadership and boards have structured out such that um, I think people would gladly take that deal in terms of working to protect the rights of individuals, but realizing that the, you know, every right is not unlimited, that there are, there are fundamental limits on what we can do. So that that's that's a deeper topic. We could spend two hours on that problem. Yeah, we, alone. we could do we could do a twenty hour podcast here on on the knowledge that, that just between you guys has. Um, but one of the things I think is so important is you know we, we've we've established who you, who you both are and, and where you came from. You know, amazing conversation about what you built and why, and then you know, kind of weaving in and around you know some of the current you know challenges of Web three today. I'd love to hear from both of you um, you know individually on on just your thoughts and your theses over the next like I said uh, three to five years. You know where you see trends going. Obviously, there's no one has a crystal ball here, um, but just just where you see the asset class moving. And you know, there's no wrong answer at any point. Alex, you want to kick us off? Sure. So I care about mass adoption. Right, like this is this is what I I think about constantly, right? Especially here in, in Silicon Valley, which is supposed to be he's supposed to be the cutting edge folks. When you talk to the cutting edge folks here, there's a lot of Web three skepticism, right? But what's interesting is, you know, it, it's not that they reject the values. Most of it comes down to user experience. Right? like user experience is what what web3 continues to severely lack right like we have very interesting projects but you know and it, it's difficult right we're doing new things we're creating new flows we have new concepts right like we, we face this right we we created a whole new you know concept around data which is you can you can now get paid for someone to use your data but the data is still secret the counterparty pays you and uses it but never sees it like what does that mean right these are these are hard but when your onboarding flow is, is, is extremely high friction, right? Or you're claiming to be a game and, you know, there's more focus on kind of, you know, NFT collectability than the actual game experience. This is a big turnoff for folks, right? And like, why, why is Web2, why did Web2 win, right? Web2 won because it's basically candy, right? It tastes great. It's, it's, it's poison, right? It makes you sick. And the more you eat, the more sick you get, and then you get some long-term, you know, outcomes. But the the issue is, it tastes great, right? And like, you know, JP up there brought up like your grandma sending money. Like this is this is like my dream persona, 
is like the blockchain grandma, right? Like this is why these big companies continue to win is you can, you can focus on education. Education's okay. I'm, I'm never going to be against education, but if the experience is great, people educate themselves and then they educate their friends and they educate their parents. Right. And so it's, it's, you know, there's some virality in web three around, around ownership. And I think, I think that's sticky. And so, you know, I, I, I believe one of these significant trends in the next few years will, will continue to be NFTs and not just, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of JPEG NFTs. I have quite a few myself, but you know, I think the real trend is going to be, you know, this is a primitive for ownership. And I think, I think that's, that's what's a sticky concept, but you know, these fundamental value props are not going to work if we don't solve user experience. And so, you know, what does that mean? Well, like mobile experience needs to get better, right? We want to conquer the world. You got to conquer mobile. And then even account abstraction, right? Like, like why do people turn to centralized exchanges where they keep getting burned? You know, part of it is it's, you know, part of it is, is the, the product offering they have, but big part of it's convenience, right? Be inconvenient to manage your own, manage your own keys, manage your seed phrase. So people just default to what's easy and familiar. And if we can, we can figure out experience and make it feel like web two, but it's really web three, then then I think we have a shot at uh, you know at winning. Awesome. No, and I and I, I love I love those thoughts. And there's so much about again, um, you know, web one was a was an evolution into web two, and and with web three, we almost have to start over and fix some of the problems of web one, um, because otherwise it turns into this clunky mess of you know like exactly what happened. And let's as long as we're you know, making fun of FTX and SBF. Perfect. You know, uh, FTX did an entire massive, you know, uh, NFT platform. They had, you know, ton, ton, you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars passed through this NFT platform and all their NFTs were hosted on Amazon S3. And so as soon as they went to bankruptcy and they stopped paying their S3, guess what happened to all the NFTs? Poof, gone, goodbye. And so, you know, that was the problem is that we're just not there yet with, with on-chain storage. Um, cause it, it, 30 seconds or 60 seconds to load an image, people just won't accept. Um, but we'll get there. I have no doubt we're going to get there, but we need to really kind of focus in and, and not be saying, Hey, we're just going to use web two solutions. Cause that's what it is. We got to, you know, bridge those gaps that if that web two solution goes down, then yeah, you're stuck with the 60 second load cycles of, of web three. So there's, there's a lot that needs to be done there, but thank you so much. For that. Maybe um, the last thing I'll add before you jump please. to JP is like, why am I such a believer, right? Like, I believe that we're, we're building primitives that, you know, offer offer new functionality and and new business models that that we haven't seen, and that's exciting. But really, it's because like Web three is a labor of love. Right? Like you said at the beginning, right? Like we could be doing a lot of things. There's, um, you know, there's lucrative paths other places, and there's, you know, certainly easier paths in other other industries, right? But like most people are here because they love it, and I think that. That is a that's a powerful force because a lot of folks in other industries, you know, they don't have the same love for their industry. It is just a day job, right? And for most people in Web three, you know, this is true for you. This is true for us. Is it's it's a lifestyle. Love it, love it. JP, bring us home. I'll say something that's controversial. Uh, let me start with that as as kind of the trend. Like I've said this before, and people kind of think I'm crazy, but. The truth is blockchain still kind of sucks. And I mean that in the most loving way possible. It still kind of sucks. It's janky. It's edgy. It doesn't fully work. You know, God loves Solana, but the downtime, they might as well have, you know, working hours on the door kind of you enter the ecosystem there. Uh, 
we need to get beyond that. We need to basically have the UX UI that Alex spoke about so that people find delightful experiences with this technology. Blockchain will win. Blockchain will succeed when blockchain is boring. It is boring and stable and workable. Uh, it, it's kind of like Donald Trump. You, you watch the news every day and you're going to get entertained. There's no doubt about that. But sometimes you, you want Joe Biden, you know, going to Costco and that's relaxing in some ways. So we want a world where I think blockchain will be boring. What does that mean? It means you know, every NFT is probably not going to be a board ape or, or a people. And you're going to see utility industry type applications of the technology. They might be worth a penny, maybe two pennies, that, that type of a thing. But the, the functionality of the tech will become incredibly more useful. And so your ID or a, a coupon or your degree, all these types of things will be boring and commonplace and used for everyday applications. But that will show the true utility of the technology. And that's what we want. That's, that's mass adoption. It's everyday utilization where people don't even realize that they're using blockchain technology. We're not going to see independent blockchain companies. We're going to see you know, companies that are a game company or, in our case, a data company that leverage Web3. And that's how you see, I think, this trend will go away. You're, you're going to have less of the, the blockchain expert on Twitter or LinkedIn pontificating on a certain thing and more you know, business people leveraging good tech to build a viable business that's not predicated on some token going to the moon. So that, I think that's the future. It is mass adoption. It is government and large business adoption. And it's going to be less exciting than I think these last 10 years of the space. But for everyday consumer utilization, technology should, shouldn't be that avant-garde. It should be practical, usable and and delightful for consumers. You know, I, I, I entirely agree. And, you know, we say that all the time. We'll know that blockchain has has reached, you know, kind of the, the ability to to start onboarding the masses when it's boring and no one even knows it's in use. And yeah. and that's the reality is no one goes to a website and they're like, Ugh. you know, I only like my, my website served on Azure, uh, you know, compared to S3. Like I, I really, let's, you know, come on guys. And so there, there's some core things that we're going to want to know where these chains are. We're going to want to know they're secure and understand them. Um, but, but to get there, it's going to take a lot of time. And we don't have that, that one use case. We don't have that Netscape yet. Um, we're not, we don't have AOL. We haven't, you know, kind of bridged that kind of massive use case. And we know you guys are working on it as well as, you know, tens of thousands of people around the world. But it's going to take millions of us to get to, to really bridge that gap and build these things. And so you know, thank you guys so much for your time today. You know, it's absolutely amazing what you've what you built, where you're going, and, and your thought process along the way. Um, Why Wills is thrilled to, to, to continue to interact and support you guys. That being said, um, anyone that's watching wants to, wants to reach out, they want to get a hold of you guys, uh, you know, bring, bring their company or uh, bring their clients, how should they reach you guys? Yeah, we, we, you can reach us at our, our website, www.secretdoodle.com. And that's probably the easiest place. Uh, I think Alex and I are both on, on Twitter. Uh, I think my, my handle is what, jpadillaca. Feel free to reach out there. And uh, that, those are probably the easiest places to reach me. You know, Alex, I know you, you have other things in your end. Uh, that, that's right. Perfect. We'll take it, yeah. guys. 
Why Whales. Uh, that is uh, Jonathan and Alex from Snickerdoodle. Again, big things coming over the years. We'll see uh, see you guys on Fireside, and and more importantly, um, keep rocking and rolling. Be good. Take care. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbach, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner, with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. Why Whales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.